When I look at all that's happening and the, the difference you're making in the world through weekends like this, honestly, it is significant. And uh, these kids that are being adopted and put into foster homes, we have a chance of literally changing the state of Colorado on a weekend like this, and I'll say more about that at the end. But it's pretty powerful. Thanks for stepping up, church. I love being a part of you. We're in this together. It's a great team and some great organizations. So enough of all that. Well, tonight's going to be fun, too, with the concert. Kristen Orphan, that's pretty, she's pretty amazing. What a band. How many of you like country music? Because they, they can get pretty country. So that's going to be kind of fun. I'm thinking of wearing my cowboy boots tonight. You know, I think that'll be just a really good night. But anyway, hey, we are going to continue this uh, this series that we've been in. If you're new to Timberline, we've been talking about the book of Esther for the last, I think, six or seven weekends. And uh, thus, the set that we have built for this is supposed to kind of look like a palace because Esther's life during the time we're reading about it was lived out in a palace. And Xerxes was a wicked king. He was all-powerful. He was rich. Uh, he was pretty immoral, and uh, it, all the stuff that went on in the palace and behind the palace just created all kinds of havoc. And uh, I have a question that I want to ask you as we dive into what uh, this message this weekend I'm, I've simply called surviving success. Now, I don't know the gauge of whether you're successful or not, how you measure that. I'm sure that's different in di- different people's eyes. But as we talk about it, this message is about character development. It's a close look at your integrity, the integrity of your life, and the potential that we have to take seriously what character looks like lived out in everyday life. Because of two guys. One is named Mordecai, and one is named Haman. Now, we've talked about both of them, but we're going to talk in more detail uh, this weekend about exactly what happened between them. Here's my question to launch into this story. What typically happens to people, I'd just be interested, the first thing that comes to your mind, when they make it really rich and successful? I wonder if the first thing that came to your mind was something really positive or something not so positive. You, you watch, uh, sometimes these things play out in real life, especially athletes. I was watching uh, sports the other day, I don't know if it was ESPN or whatever it was, and and it was like, I, I felt like they were talking to junior high kids fighting over whether it's one or two million dollars. You know what I'm saying? How many of you understand what I'm saying? It's like, they ha- isn't it enough? I mean, why are, why are we mad because the camera wasn't quite on you for the, the, the full ten seconds? I mean, it's just, it's crazy how we can become spoiled and we expect more. And all of a sudden, all this energy goes into my identity and who I am. And, and uh, I want more time. And on and on and it goes. And I know there's some great athletes that are not that way at all. But I I think for you and I, what does it mean? How does God measure success? Because I think it's very different than the way our world does. Would you agree with that statement? So, So we've got to do a good job today to talk about what that is. Because our identity is tied to some of these things as it's related to image rather than truth. And, and let's, let's, let's look hard at that. Here's, here's the update on the fight, the conflict, I should call it, between Haman and Mordecai. Haman is a powerful, uh, rich guy who really wants to be king. You'll see it in a minute. He, he wants uh, the stuff that the king has. King Xerxes is the king. Mordecai is basically the guy who sits at the gate and, and observes people going in and out. It's almost like a security guy. 
And Mordecai is there. And when Haman comes through the gate, Mordecai traditionally is supposed to stand and be very nervous. Like, Haman is in my presence. But Mordecai is pretty much unmoved. He doesn't stand, and it's not a big deal. And this makes Haman furious. Because Haman has the image of power, and he wants people to fear him. He wants to be bigger than he is. He wants to control and dominate and win. Uh, what, a, what a sad uh, guy that we're going to look at. But number one in your notes, if you turn your bulletin over to the back page and talk about this. Number one, how should we deal with our need for reward or approval? Now, could we agree before we read this text in Esther chapter 6 that we all have a need for reward and approval? It's huge. It's been proven in psychology. All the stuff that happens, even, even biblical stuff. God the Father looks at Jesus before He's done anything at His baptism and says, This is my Son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. Jesus hasn't even done a miracle yet. So that love and that approval is about His identity and who He is, not based on what He does. So I get that. But I want you to read with me, follow along in Esther chapter 6, what happens. That night, King Xerxes had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give to Mordecai for this uh, act, the king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Now, just to stop right there and say, I think that's a pretty significant statement. Here's a guy who has saved the king's life, uncovered the plot, exposed it, and, quote, nothing has been done for him. That seems to be very different than the culture they lived in where everything goes on and on in fanfare and celebration. Mordecai goes unnoticed. I find that interesting. But yet we don't see an attitude problem in Mordecai because he's been overlooked. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever done something like really praiseworthy and no one gave a rip? I mean, they just didn't even notice. You know, you bring cookies to the office, or you do something extra or special, and, and you know, here's, here's how it works. You're really not doing it to be recognized. It's just that when you're not recognized, it kind of ticks you off. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's not in your mind to be honored. It's just that when no one appreciates it, you walk away saying, well, I'm not doing that again. No one appreciates my hard work and labor. Mordecai... It's interesting that he's in this situation. He doesn't appear to be a guy that walks around needing to explain what he's done or who he is. Hi, I'm Mordecai. I saved the king's life. You've heard about me, CNN. Yeah, they did the special. I make a big difference around here. He doesn't have that need. Why? Why? How do we handle life when no one notices? How do we handle life when we step up and we do uh, ministry or life um, with excellence and yet there's no appreciation, there's no reward? It's really huge for us to understand something. God sees everything, including our heart. 
And there are going to be things you've done or you will do that will never be recognized by any other human being. But God takes note. And that day comes when God reminds maybe the world of your heart, of what you did, the heart behind it. Not that you even need that, but what is your identity tied to? That's the question. And that opens the platform for us to go a little deeper here with who we really are. So stay open. And the second thing in your outline is this. Observations about Haman's ideas. Because this is where the the story gets really funny here. Okay, It's just incredible what's about to happen. So the king immediately says, he's, he's saying, what did we do for Mordecai? Nothing has been done. And he hears something outside of his his chamber. And he says in verse 4, Who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king, get this, to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. He wanted to kill him. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, and that's where he got into trouble, right there. Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? The world revolves around me. So he replied, now this is his wish list. He thinks he's doing this for himself. If the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. I mean, see the detail? He's getting this cracks. Am I the only one that thinks this is funny? (laughs) He's just going off. His imagination is going, let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the official shout out as they go. And here's the shout. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor as he's parading him around. I started thinking about all this and I started looking at the list that Haman desired. And it's very interesting. And I think there's four little subpoints in your outline. See those four things? They're, they're the things we just read about, but I want to talk about them briefly. The first one is the robe. The robe is the, obviously the king's identity. Haman wanted that position. A robe is a personal tool. It's, it's a very personal item to be placed around the king. And Haman says... I want one of the king's robes to put around me. This this goes way back years before, obviously, when adorning a king involves that wonderful robe. Because there's something of a mantle that was believed to be placed on someone who was wearing that robe. Now, for me, I, I relate to this somewhat. Because as a kid, one of the things, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but my mom was a great seamstress. And when I was in the six, seven, eight-year-old range, one of the things that she made for me was a full Superman outfit with a cape. How, how many of you, anyone else, understand this? Okay, a few of you. Some of you are like, well, I don't really want to talk about that. Here's the difference, and many of you don't realize this, but when I put that cape on, I... I actually did become Superman. (laughs) And no one has ever fully appreciated the work I did 
you wouldn't be alive today because I saved the world a few times. But that's how it is when you're Superman and nobody knows. As a kid, it was so real to me. And I think Haman's living in this fantasy world where he's saying, I want that robe on me. The second thing is the horse. Now, the horse is the appearance of power. It's a very, I mean, horses are still a big deal, but back in those days, it was a very big deal. And it was a symbol of wealth and a symbol of power and war and territories. There are certain kinds of horses. It goes on and on. It's interesting that Haman actually said it needed to be a horse that the king has actually ridden. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because a horse, the throne is where the king sits. That horse that he's ridden becomes the throne at that moment. Everything happens, and Haman's saying, I'm going to be the king. I'm going to wear the robe. And he's all excited because of what it means. Think of the identity issues in our lives, you guys. Just to point this home, what is it that you need to look like something else that you're really not so people will believe you're someone you're really not? How hard do we work in our lives? And we chase after what we want people to see about us rather than saying, God, here I am, use me. Flawed. And everything else, I come to you as I am. I love, I love the fact that God uses us all without a horse and without a robe that belongs to someone else. He sees you to call you his son and you his daughter. Amen? Amen. The third thing is to be led through the city. Haman thinks up this idea. This is the need to be seen. It's, it's this idea that, look at me, look at me, I want all eyes on me because I'm up higher than everyone else on this horse. I'm being led around. I've got the king's robe and even with the emblem on the horse. And now everyone can see me in the streets and they can wave and they can be in awe of who I am. The fourth thing, the official shout. Now this is, I believe, it's the feeling of being more valued than others. It's not just the feeling of being valued. The shout was, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. In other words, you're not being honored, I am. I'm more special than you. You see this attitude come out in people when it's not just enough to be honored, but it's, it's important that they feel more valued than someone else. They feel more important. They, they need the feeling that they have won. That they have dominated someone else. I'm smarter than you. I'm richer than you. My kids are better than you. And it's this, I'm up here, you're down here. And Haman had that in him. It's a very sick cycle. And it creates all kinds of issues in our world today for all of us. For all of us. Take it seriously today, what God would say in your heart. The third thing, the main point in your outline there is this. And it's a question. Because we have to deal with it through Mordecai. What is our response when we're proven right? <laughs> I, how many of you, it's every now and then it's just enjoyable to be proven right in an argument or a situation. How many of you are just so used to being right, it just doesn't really phase you anymore? Just... <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe what I'm about to read you. Okay, here it goes. This is the rest of the story, verse 10. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes 
and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. Now, I'm telling you right now, this next verse is a wilting Haman. He's dying here. Haman took the robes, put them on Mordecai, placed him on the king's own horse, led him through the city square, shouting, This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Can you imagine? This is like a movie. Is there anything worse than having to honor someone you despise? You know, you go to the celebration party of someone who walked all over you to get there, and they got the award, and you didn't, and you just don't even enjoy the cake. Because you know what they did to get there. I did, I did have to wonder for a moment, studying this out, to say, I wonder if Mordecai, like, even winked at Haman, or even... Like, had a little smile. You know, I don't, I don't think so. There's, there's nothing in the Bible that would insinuate that Mordecai absorbed this or took this in. I don't think he did. How should we respond to praise and success, lastly? What is your response going to be to praise when you get it because someone does recognize you're special and you did something significant? This is one of the most powerful parts of the story for me. Verse 12. Afterward, what's that mean? After the celebration, after the parade, after he's off the horse, after the robe is gone, afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate. But Haman hurried home dejected and completely humiliated. Okay, I understand that part, but the first part of this verse caught me off guard a little bit. He returned to the palace gate. You know, you, you would think, I mean, doesn't, he just, does he just get off the horse? Thanks, Haman. Here's the robe. Can't wait to get this thing off of me. This is not who I am. I sit at the gate. That's what I do. And I do it well. And it's nice to be recognized as someone who kept the king alive, but i got to get back to my post. Too bad I don't... You don't see Mordecai saying, can we do that again tomorrow? That was really fun. You don't see him going back to the gate and pulling everyone around and saying, i got to tell you what they just did for me. See this little string? That's from, the, that's from the robe. I cut off a piece so I can take it home to my kids. You don't see Mordecai living in this wannabe world. You see him going back to what he did yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before. And and that's what made him great. Sometimes when, when we lose sight of what put us there, of the character and integrity that keeps us accountable before God, when we lose that, that's when we fall off the slope. I love that Mordecai said, I've got a job. Thanks for everything. I'm going back to my place on the wall. You guys, keep doing the things that God sees that no one else may. Look deep into your own heart and soul and say, I don't need recognition for what God calls integrity or the high road or character. And do it in silent. Do it when no one knows. Because what matters is that you are doing it as unto the Lord, whatever it is. I just quickly jotted down. Uh, and this is, there's nothing else on the screen, but I just, I'll, I'll give you a couple of these. I thought, how could we respond to success? 
um, if, if God would help us to achieve it in, in His eyes. One of the things that I think is really important is there's no need to have a false humility. If you're good at something, recognize you're good at it and do it well. Amen? That's not ego-driven. It's frustrating you say to an artist, oh, I love this painting. And they go, oh, no, I'm a terrible painter. No one should ever buy my work. I just can't stand I don't believe I painted that. And I don't even... Never mind. Let me just tear it up. <laughs> it's like this, this self, you know, they're just killing who they are. Hey, God gifted you. Use your gifts for his, for his pleasure. Uh, the second one says this. Use your gifts as gifts from God, not just for you to be the sole owner of. It, when you steward what you have been given, it's godly. When, when you hoard it and you keep it to yourself and you use it only for you, that's selfish. That's not why God gave you those gifts. When, when you can think well, you're a strategist, you, you need to help the kingdom of God advance, advance by what you do and how you think. Some of you are blessed in giving. Give as unto the Lord. Find the things you believe in and give toward them. Others of you, you have gifts in other areas where you can say, I don't know how this might help, but I'm going to give it my all. Another thing I would say is keep doing the small things that make you successful today. I'm amazed at how many people, quote, get to the top, and they no longer do the things that were integral. And uh, that's a scary place to be. And the last one is just never devalue other people. You know, sometimes you, you see people who are really successful, and if, if it comes out of their mouth, you know, they're talking about someone, and they say, you know, I wish they had a brain. Or, or all of a sudden they're just looking at people who, who don't have answers, or they're not as smart as them, and they just devalue people by their comments and their attitude, instead of being someone who can lift people up. You know what? We all have equal value in God's eyes. Do you know that there's no one in here more loved than someone else? God loves the lost person on the street as much as He loves you because He has enough love to go around. So how cool is it for us to love the way He has loved us first that they will know we are His kids by the love we have for one another and for this world? Love yourself, love your neighbor, love God. Do those things in a way that honors God. As we wrap this up today, I want to just say, let the Holy Spirit bring you to a place right now where you can ask the hard questions. This is a contemplative prayer. And it's one we need to look at. Not out of guilt. Not out of burden. I don't like putting you know, a mountain on people. I believe it's, it's the Holy Spirit that frees us to examine our lives. Right? So, so just pray with me about these things. If you would, just bow your head for a moment. I just want to deal, first of all, with those of you that would say, I have kind of that, that Haman attitude. And it's, it's not that I need you to raise your hand right now at all. Because it might not even be appropriate. But you need to acknowledge it's the I deserve mindset. You're not paid enough. You're not recognized enough. You're not honored enough. You know, no one cares. No one. It's just this, it's this attitude. You climb into this, this little place and it's never enough for you. And I think God needs to break that out of you today. He wants to. He wants you to say, that's me. I need out of this. It's not a cycle that will help me see the bigger picture. If you need that, just right now, acknowledge it to God. Say, yes, Lord. I trust you. I need you. I give myself to you. I don't want that in me. I don't want that spirit. I don't need more. I want to use what I have. Big difference.
The second thing is just the identity issues of constantly seeking and living for others to praise you. The acknowledgement, your identity is tied to that approval. Now, you guys, some of you get this honestly from childhood. There's all kinds of studies that bear this out, and I, I don't make light of things that take years to plow through, okay? But I do believe along the way in your journey, there are moments like weekends like this where the Holy Spirit just comes and gives you that extra surge in your journey that takes you to another place where you can work on some new things and you can, you can see through the eyes of the Spirit maybe, yeah, what got you there, but how to climb out. Because your identity is not tied to someone else valuing you or approving you. It is tied to the God who made you. And that is enough. Because He made you perfect in His image. The last thing I want you to pray over is just offering your gifts. You know, I'm, I mean, I just can't believe how gifted you are. And, and to share that with the kingdom and to be aware of how you might pass that around. To love fully. To embrace the challenges that you, know, you have answers to. To not shrink back. And not just be a, I told you so, but to get in there and, and work and roll up your sleeves and say, I want to be a part of solving the hardest problems we have in this country. You say, well, I don't have opportunity. Yes, you do. God's going to open them up if you're willing to steward that gift and believe it's a gift from God. Because it is. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I thank you for teenagers in this room and young people in this room I thank you for prime timers and seniors who have used their gifts for the glory of God and on a weekend like this where we can say I give you everything I am and Lord if there's anyone who doesn't know you personally I just ask you now to say, that they would say Lord forgive me of my own sin cleanse me I trust in you as my Lord that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead and I pledge to you my gifts you created me for more than I'm living in now so spend my life. I accept you by faith. And I believe. We trust you, Lord, to take us to that next place. For your glory, we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And I will.